Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Oh, man. I need to towel off after that game. That was just an incredible national TV game. I'd like to personally thank Jock Vaughn, every member of the Nets organization, for actually trying and giving us a, that classic game that went down to the very end. Karis LeVert missing a step back jumper that could have won it for the Nets, kept the Blazers out of the playoffs, made Memphis the eighth seed, and the Suns the ninth seed. Instead, it's the Blazers the eighth seed, Memphis the ninth seed and the Suns despite an 8-0 record in the bubble are headed home which uh saddens me I really would have liked to have seen the Suns in that playing game but alas only two teams that can be there and once more we must start with Damian Lillard I tweeted this during the game that there's only one other player that I can remember having a shooting run like this and that was Steph Curry in 2016 do you agree with me I can't really think of anybody else that would be between the two. I, I would say this is a is a, maybe a little bit weaker than that, but not by much. I mean, that Curry team was was also ridiculous from from a lot from a lot of perspectives. But Lillard, his confidence pulling up, the difficulty of the shots that he's taking, and the way that it bends the opposing defense. Yeah, it's, it it definitely is reminiscent of that Steph season. He took one that I was deeper than any one that I can recall Steph taking just in the normal flow of the game in that season and he made it i mean he's just so on balance at all times he can just let fly with completely his normal shooting motion for just about anywhere inside the half court line after he made that one then the nets actually started doubling him literally in the backcourt to get the ball out of his hands and portland at that point i mean it was just a question of who was going to get the wide open shot every possession once they had to start doing that well so. that that was both teams but yeah it was it was also <laughs> the portland trailblazers yeah, absolutely. So uh, Damian Lillard, he scored over 150 points in his last three games after missing those two free throws against the Clippers, 51-61. And in this one, it was 42 points in 44 minutes for Lillard. He and CJ McCollum both played 44 minutes. They both went the entire second half. Yusuf Nurkic, who was also awesome in this one with 22 points, he played the last 16 minutes after having to be taken out with four fouls early in the third. He was exhausted by the end, but just the effort level even, perhaps even more so than the offensive fireworks for Lillard. He also had 12 assists, by the way, and probably a ton more hockey assists uh, off those double teams. Uh, the effort plays Yusuf Nurkic diving on the floor late when he was completely exhausted. Lillard, he missed a floater, went down, and then sprinted back and knocked it away from Karis LeVert and got on the ground for that one. Uh, and then the Blazers, uh, I think right after that, were able to take the lead on of four points on that CJ McCollum ISO on Joe Harris. Just the overall effort level in this game, I mean, it was just remarkable, and I really, really enjoyed every second of it. Well, and I mean, I thought a player that was reflective of that effort level was Yusuf Nurkic. He was running on fumes at the absolute end. Now, he wasn't necessarily burning the candle as much every possession on defense, but he beat Jared Allen down the floor in a couple of big possessions that really helped swing yeah. it. In, it was actually right after the timeout that he was gassed and then they took a time out and he was able to recover a little bit right and he beat them down the floor i think that was about three minutes to go and then had an and one which i think was also terrible defense by the nets they basically had two guys bracketing the lane but neither guy was actually guarding the lane and so i think i believe it was joe harris who fouled nurkic didn't didn't affect the shot that much for the and one but yeah i thought nurk was was important in this one 22 points 10 rebounds and also battle foul trouble i mean we've seen that from nurkic a couple of times before and they had to 
make up some ground. This was a like th- this was a rough mellow offensive game. I think he's he's done better defensively overall than Yeah, like, I mean he still is bad. Let, let's yes. not go too far, yes. but he's like just regular NBA defense bad now instead of the worst defensive player in the league bad. Which is an important improvement. <laughs> I yeah, mean it's, I, he he deserves a ton of credit for getting himself into shape. He looks so much better as a rebounder, as a finisher as well. I mean he's getting off the floor again like he was back in his new york days it really looks uh much better for him you mentioned nurkic and the game really changed in the third when he got his fourth foul on a pretty bullshit call uh i thought he didn't really get his forearm away from his body on that play as he was posting up corks but they just had no answers for him in terms of the size particularly if they're going to trap at half court but he's just a much better decision maker than Whiteside. he can take a couple of dribbles use his size maneuver into position and the one weakness that he has is that if there's a lot of size on the floor, you know, he can kind of can't explode over those guys and he shoots actually a little bit lower of a percentage. But with the size that the Nets had on the floor, he was able to just go right around guys and also just make some plays as a passer from that position. So having him out there instead of Whiteside, bringing him back really saved the game for Portland. Great job by Stott seeing it slip away and say, hey, I got to go back to Nurkic because Whiteside, although he did have something on the offensive glass, man, was he bad defensively. He's part of a bad system to be clear there's a lot of guys but he just had no effect on those Karis Levert drives in the third quarter right and I I thought that it was a appropriate overall line for Whiteside 16 points five of six from the field an unusual six of six from the line nine rebounds so 16 and nine in 15 minutes but the Blazers were outscored by nine points in those in those 15 minutes partially because their defense wasn't stout ever but it was less resilient during those minutes and Whiteside also you brought up the passing difference I think that's part of what has made the Blazers look so different in the bubble is that Nurkic things flow like they're I think his fit was something that we we did appreciate and we appreciated in its absence for most of this year, the pre-hiatus time. But I noticed it even more starkly in this one. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, the white side, the play that kind of typified it for me was CJ McCollum picks up his dribble, throws it to white side at the elbow, sprints off him to like get the ball back and white side ignores him and then just turns around and bricks a 15 footer. That is you know clearly not a shot, particularly when your team is getting any shot they want and they're on fire too. like to hijack the offense and take that shot. It was not good. But, you know, I mean, white side did give them something offensively, at least he's just not good enough at playing the angles as a, a defender well and uh, briefly yeah. on Whiteside, i am so fat he might be the most interesting free agency thing for me just to figure out whether some team screws this up basically th- looks at certain things and goes oh well look at all the rebounds like, like basically the, he's the andre drummond of, of this class now that drummond's likely to pick up that player option and i don't think i think that it's going to work out for him just be like but you could imagine him being the equivalent of a sour 16 if this had been a more flush year which is not yeah i think andre drummond is like way better better than Hassan White. Oh, I agree. Not that you disagree. Yeah, it's just it's just the the analogy of like that they put up the counting stats and so there there's a constituency that think they might be good when they aren't particularly. But yeah, Drummond way better than Whiteside. Um Karis Levert's game must be acknowledged despite the miss at the end. 37 points nine assists six turnovers 10 points in the first five minutes of the third as the nets roared back the blazers were in control with a six point lead at halftime and the nets i think it was a 15 to 1 run in the end as the blazers offense really stagnated and when the blazers weren't scoring the nets were able to come right down but lavert they just had nobody who could do anything with particularly in that blazers starting lineup but gary trent is the only guy with any kind of hope on him and even gary trent wasn't really able to get over the screens very well Levert. Levert did a nice job of setting up those screens, getting good separation. Then once he got in the lane, if it was CJ on him, then he just was able to kind of maneuver in a position with his size. He's got that kind of Joe Ingles, Kyle Anderson, slow down, just take the spring out of the shot blockers so they just aren't moving. They can't bounce off the floor and maneuver around him for layups. He also really dimed guys up and credit Jock Vaughn, who will feature in our bubble awards that we're going to do momentarily for changing things up with going with Levert and Garrett Temple in the backcourt, Harris, Kurix, and Allen up front. He took Chioza out of things, uh, who granted didn't play because of a right adductor strain but i thought they were much better without him he gave tlc a lot more time and the nets also just were shooting the lights out in this game i mean it seemed like they couldn't miss at times some of these guys uh as they finished up 14 to 33 from downtown like tyler johnson dating like where did this come from with him 
Well, I mean, it can't happen when your shots are almost comically open. Like well, the, well, that was that that wasn't the case for Johnson. Though. Yeah, like for he, Johnson as much. Not as not. I was took, thinking more TLCs. Yeah. TLCs were overwhelmingly open. Yeah, I mean, even TLC though was like he hit a couple on the move. He had a couple of nice drives, and frankly, like TLC has always had open shots, and he's never made them until That's true. this year oh. with the Nets and Tyler Johnson. He's like coming off screens. He, he was hitting like long twos, fading away. Like this player, I don't know what happened to him in Phoenix. I guess he just wasn't healthy, but great to see him back because he he is an nba player for sure with this great yeah, bubble signing not nearly as good a player as danny green but it kind of reminds me of that circumstance where something was wrong and we kind of felt like it because he tyler johnson just didn't look like the same player it seems like that was the case but i want to go back to karis lavert because i want to talk about his his shot chart in this game i thought it was fascinating oh yeah lavert five of seven in the restricted area eight of 12 from floater range and then only took 10 jump shots he was three of 10 on those but so he did all that damage inside the paint but also only got to the free throw line four times. It was just just fascinating. I mean, it was kind of about some of the resistance, also about Levert getting to his spots, and also to me that made it a little a little bit more frustrating when he didn't try to get to his spots on the final possession. Though CJ did a better job defending on that possession than basically any time in the rest of the game. Yeah, that possession was maybe the one time when it seemed to me like maybe the Nets didn't go all out. Like there was there when you're down one, you should go right away. There was no he intentionally ran the time down i don't know if they were just like hey whatever happens this is going to be the last shot and actually you know danny there is something maybe to that because you talked about this the other day in the portland dallas game this was another one where they're just like hey we're not going to give damian lillard a chance to beat us at the end so let's run the time down and lavert they had no answers for him but lavert didn't ask the question by forcing it to the rim where he'd been so successful at the end um but i do think they probably should have tried for it just because if you miss then you obviously you want to give yourself another chance to try to get a steal then to foul and come down again the other reason why i think you go that way is that it is very difficult if you if you say the most important thing in this on this shot is for there to be zeros on the clock when the re- when a potential rebound is available if that is the primary goal it is very difficult to tell a player oh and be aggressive like and try to try to get your shot off because the challenge yeah. the easiest way to make sure that you get a shot off and then zeros will be on the clock is to just take take a contested 20 footer because you can let it go at exactly the same time you don't have to worry about going too early setting the screen or anything like that and so that's part of the other reason why i like attacking early is because it it for, it forces you to to not settle. Now, if it's a tie game, yes, absolutely. You know that that's a that's a no brainer because you're taking something off the table. But if it's a one point deficit, even with the horrendous defense and great offense that like the Blazers played, I think you still have to do it that way because that, that, that it makes it logical in certain respects for a player to be a little bit more passive. And I thought that was passive. I know there were some people who were trying to say, oh, they threw in the towel on the last player. I think I don't think it was that. I think it was Karis Levert being very cognizant that he wanted to take the last shot and driving okay you're gonna start that drive with six and go you're gonna drive with eight with four like eight, he just and so cj provided resistance at exactly the right time and he went okay i know what i'm gonna do a couple other things that stuck out about this game to me at halftime the blazers had 36 percent offensive rebounds and the nets had five percent offensive rebounds by the end of the game both teams were almost even brooklyn actually had 30 percent off offensive rebounds for the game and portland had 29 so they went i mean they must have had like 50% offensive rebounds, if not more than that, in the second half somehow, despite the Blazers' size advantage. And Jared Allen was really good at that. They got a number of second opportunities, culminating in a Joe Harris floater to stay in it down the end. I just thought that was fascinating. Maybe an indication of uh, Portland's fatigue level. Also, just the fact that they're giving up a, a lot of good shots and were out of position okay. defensively. So Portland, or sorry, Brooklyn missed, they missed 25 shots in the second half. They were 27 to 52 from the field. They had 11 individually credited offensive rebounds and they also had three team rebounds i don't know if those if those are all offensive or whatever but yeah so that is pretty close to a 50 percent if those team rebounds were offensive rebounds as i suspect anything else that you wanted to hit on for this one I mean, we, we've known for a while how much the Portland Trailblazers miss Trevor Reza, but a big part of that is also having to play players like Mario Hazonia. Like Hazonia, I am the Archbishop of the Church of Hazonia, but he was he was bad in this one. I, I nearly sent out a tweet in the third quarter about how get, accepting all the converts from, from Phoenix to, to the gospel because of he nearly got them in the playoffs partially. I mean, it was a team effort on how bad they were on defense. And also like... Yeah. See, Hazonia almost got the Suns into yes, the playoffs. Yes, yeah, yeah, he almost got the Suns into the playoffs. <laughs> and, uh, and then with CJ, you know, he's dealing with this, with this 
fractured his back, which is completely insane. Um, yeah. I, he, I mean, it's not, it's a transverse process fracture and there's nothing displaced. Like yeah. you can play with it. I mean, like Mike Conley had it, for example. And I think, but I think Conley sat for, like I think Conley sat for like a week. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, but you know, I think it's the type of thing where if it's just, if it's at this time in the season, you can play with it. I mean, I would imagine, as I mentioned the other day that, that he's probably getting like some kind of an injection right, to, to but, play, but yeah, to come out after that and put up after the terrible game when he was like at one point he was negative 30 in that Dallas game to come out and put up 12 points in the first and then he also because of Trent's foul trouble I mean he had to guard Levert he was the primary guy on Levert with the starters out there because Zach Collins and Mello sure as heck weren't guarding him that was pretty impressive effort from him I agree overall so now do you want to take a little a little walk through how we got to that point because I thought well, I thought yeah well I got one more thing on this game first, yes if you don't mind so once they got into the second half I mean in the first half it was the same thing that we saw against Dallas where they're trying to just get Jared Allen on the floor Jared Allen actually has a prospect I thought that he had pretty quick feet but he's never really asked to get out on the floor in the net six it must must like much like I should say Kristaps Porzingis and so when he had to do that after Dame hit a couple of threes early then it was literally just blowing by him to that left hand getting to the rim and the Blazers really did it more at the rim against the Nets the Nets generally protect the rim kind of above all else else and try to force mid-rangers but the blazers a lot of it with that dame penetration were 14 to 24 at the rim in the first half which is a ton of makes at the rim a ton of attempts for just one half 24 uh and so then what the nets tried to do in the second half was they went to what looked like a one two two but then they also would just double team Lillard pretty much right at half court and that enabled them to keep jared allen back and so to protect the rim a little bit more and partially it was due to missed shots Partially, it was due to the Blazers not having great personnel out there in the third with like Hazonia as they were having some problems but they did at least get the ball out of Dame Lillard's hands there and but then the Blazers started to figure it out and particularly in the fourth they started to hit some threes after three Dame was five of nine from three and rest of team was two out of 16 but Trent hit a couple of big ones Mello hit a big one in the fourth all of them corner threes as well how many corner threes did they end up shooting for the game in the second half it was basically just a layup or a corner three on every possession when they actually tried to attack Portland ended up five for eleven on corner on corner threes. Yeah, I guess I, maybe those were. Uh, it seemed like they were more. Now eleven is actually we're we've been spoiled by the Rockets here. Eleven is actually a lot of corner yeah. threes. For well, a they also game. had I think like, it was like five or six misses right ab- right above above the break. So like you you might have yeah. thought of those as corner threes, but they were actually technically above the break. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So I mean, it seemed like because they were either they'd get it to Nurkic in the middle. Dame had a huge assist to Gary Trent where they actually doubled him before half court and he threw it all the way to the corner right to Trent for a three in the last three minutes that was an enormous shot uh another enormous play was tlc as the nets are up four with like three minutes left fouling dame lillard giving him three free throws that's always just a killer um but i mean if there's anyone in the league that you can't blame someone for being a little over eager on it's lillard when he's shooting it like this so um yeah that's about all i got if you want to we can uh take a quick break here and then we'll shift to uh, the remainder of the action and give a little preview of the portland and memphis series playing we'll come up with the name for it so man it is crazy to think that i've been working with helix sleep since 2015 and i think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners if you've never heard it before that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom and there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one size fits all they found the one formula the one mattress that was going to work for everyone my then girlfriend now wife and i ordered that mattress we ended up having to return it because hey guess what not everyone is the same and then she did some more research and found helix sleep we took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types and uh, helix offers 20 unique matches everybody sleeps differently and helix matches are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences hot or cold side sleeper back sleeper so take that helix sleep quiz find your perfect mattress in under two minutes 
and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge it's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home you're like well how should i order this if i can't sleep I'm like yeah you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do i take my shoes off do i leave my shoes on but then my feet kind of hang off the bed because i don't want to put my shoes on the bed and is it weird that i'm laying here for more than 30 seconds you can't tell anything under those circumstances you might as well just order it get it sent to your house get that 100 night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easier slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us man i just love american giant just an amazing clothing company i was reminded again of how much i love it when i drove from california to montana over the all-star break and you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas you're like well i don't want to wear like my jacket in the car but then i get out to fill gas I'm going to be freezing, but the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm, it's not too hot as well. So I was able to wear it in the car, not be too hot, step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket, even when it was cold outside. These things are amazingly durable. I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly. And American Giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us oh for the nba cast on nba league pass we got the chance to do a game with big playoff implications memphis against milwaukee and milwaukee actually played their guys most of the way until the game was out of hand but memphis i thought earned this one with a, a really nice victory granted that milwaukee is kind of going through the motions a little bit yeah going through the motions and Giannis <laughs> due to suspension Wes Matthews George Hill and Arisani Osova didn't play but yeah their other guys did you know they were around 20 minutes for for their main guys and the I mean the easy headline here but I think part of it is well deserved is the double triple double so Valanchunas this is one of the w- most wild things so we actually kind of missed that he was getting close to a triple double because Valanchunas ended with 26 points 19 rebounds and 12 assists his career high in assists before this game was five and this is not some you know young guy who just doesn't have a ton of reps Valanciunas has been in the league for years now and a big part of why was that they were the Bucks were just kind of they were collapsing to him a little bit they were also this this group was leaving was leaving some guys open but also it was a lot of handoff action which if if the guy finishes the shot counts as an assist yeah and they did a nice job with Valanciunas getting him good position on those handoffs like right at the free throw line or the elbow like and usually when we talk about the elbow in the nba that's usually like closer to the three-point line this was like literally at the elbow on a lot of these because the bucks like to lay back obviously and protect the rim and so dylan brooks who was awesome in this game they ran the same play probably 10 times in this game of dylan brooks out of the left corner but instead of you know a lot of times you'll see that wide pin down where he runs along the three-point arc instead brooks would get a screen first before getting the handoff and then he would go and get the ball on the move right at the elbow curl into lane and brooks loves that right elbow area for floaters and john moran also had a stretch in the second quarter where he made four floaters in a row and as a team overall the grizzlies who shoot pretty well from floater range brandon clark's another really good guy there kyle anderson's another really good guy there they were 18 of 29 from floater range in this game 62 percent, and the league average as we know is about 40 percent from that area yeah and that made up for the fact that the bucks 
take away the rim pretty well. They held him to only 18 attempts there, and they actually shot better from floater range than they shot at the basket. Not only did the Grizzlies shoot better from floater range, they attempted more from floater range than in the restricted area and mid-range combined. That was that was yeah. a, a full 40% of the shots, sorry, not 40%, one-third of the shots Memphis took in this entire game came from floater range, but they you know they hit 62% of them, so, so that worked out reasonably well. You brought up Dylan Brooks. I thought that he did a really good job. We, we've did so many Memphis Grizzlies games for the, the league pass broadcast that we got to see a lot of bad Dylan Brooks, but we also got to see some good in the, the Jazz game and then here. And when he's when his shot is going in, he's so confident that he just keeps getting it. And what was better in this game was Brooks didn't, he didn't always settle. You know, like he didn't get in, he did it once in the early going where it's like he made two shots and they took a stupid three. But generally he was, that, that energized him to be more aggressive, try to get to the basket, take advantage of, or not all the way to the basket, but float range, elbow, that elbow type of stuff. And there were also some really nice moments from from John Morant, the other guy to get a triple double in this game, 12, 10 and, and assists and 13 rebounds for him. And I thought that it wasn't as impressive for me a game for Jaw as the Celtics loss, but I thought that he did do a nice job of generating help, orchestrating things when they needed to, when they did weren't relying on Valanciunas and Dylan Brooks. Yeah, it was 5 of 17, 0 for 4 from 3. Miranda's struggled. I think he's under 50% true shooting now for the bubble, but he obviously has a, a lot on his plate, and he did have the passing game working quite a bit. And Brooks, just so you get his line here, 31 points, 12 of 18 from the field, 4 of 7 from 3, and team best plus 27 in 33 minutes uh, for Dylan Brooks. I thought Kyle Anderson played by far his best game of the bubble. He was two of four from three and he defended Chris Middleton in isolation really well. Middleton is actually not that quick. So Anderson is a pretty good matchup on him with that seven, four wingspan and the quick hands. And he doesn't make mistakes defensively. And so the Bucks did try to switch up a little bit and get Middleton going off the pick and roll and off screens where maybe Anderson isn't quite as good, but Middleton played 21 minutes. He actually had a chance to get a 50-40-90 season by upping his overall field goal percentage a little bit. He was at 49.5%, but he went 5 out of 13, so did not, in fact, reach that milestone. Anthony Tolliver only took five shots in this game, but two of them were big threes early in the third quarter that helped open up driving lanes. He, he actually, I thought his biggest one, I think you're thinking of the second, second quarter. Second quarter, that might be right. Threes, yeah, because yeah, Memphis just couldn't get anything. Yeah, you're right, because Memphis couldn't get anything in the first quarter, and then that helped open up some of the driving lanes, and they, they did a nice job. And I thought this was, you know, no, no big pronouncements here. But I did think, I, I, I never made this reference on the podcast, but I thought of it as like, this was kind of like the Fawns lineup for the Bucks without Giannis and without George Hill. And I thought is that, that a, is that a Milwaukee restaurant? That is, that is a reference? young, that is a young deer reference. De- young deer. Baby deer. Oh, Fawns. F-A-W. Yeah. So yeah, it wasn't Happy Days. Doesn't that take place in Milwaukee? It does. I'd forgotten about that. Um, yeah. Wow. That's, that's like a, like my parents' generation one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, my, my brain goes to animals, not to a show that, yeah. that ended about 30 years before we were born no no disrespect to happy days but um <laughs> but uh, i thought that a lot of those guys just in the overall like the players that they're going to lean on didn't look great in this one eric bledsoe had some had some defensive moments you know fighting yeah. through screens did and all you that. see the suggestion that eric bledsoe was still trying to screw over the suns by not winning the game <laughs> Yeah, covert, covert agent Eric Bledsoe, along with almost covert agent Tyler Johnson. Um, but yeah, I, I thought that Bledsoe didn't look didn't look great. I mean, offensively, one of eight from the field, just couldn't get into yeah. a rhythm. I'm shooting. concerned about him, and granted, he got a late start due to the COVID diagnosis. But fortunately, he'll have a chance to work into shape here against Orlando. But certainly, doesn't look like a guy who's like ready to atone for the last two years of playoff failures. And, and like Divincenzo was relatively efficient in his individual offense, but he also also, like when they tried to have him distribute a little bit, I thought there were some some silly mistakes, some terrible passes, and he also bit on a few unnecessary plays defensively. You know, not that his defensive performance was bad overall, but Dylan Brooks caught him a few times, and the, again, this this Grizzlies team doesn't have a ton of different reliable attacks, and so I, I didn't think it, Divincenzo was far from the biggest culprit. I didn't think Connaughton was great in this game. And, and yeah, we don't have to talk about the the no. Bucks anymore. Well, no, just just in this. just in the sense that they are going to have to rely on some of those guys in. in 
Yeah. Not, not right. in, in, in later rounds, and I don't know who Budenholzer is going to trust. Hopefully Marvin Williams will be fine. He looked, he got a little bit shaken up physically out of his lower body. I can't remember exactly what the issue was. Yeah, we never really got a good look at it. Like, he went down, and then he was taken out and never returned. Never returned. Uh, so, yeah, that is. I think that is potentially relevant. And the Bledsoe thing, because they don't have as many options anymore. You know, like, they, maybe they could turn to DiVincenzo, but if a team can take Giannis especially if they, a team can make Milwaukee function more in the half court, then it's going to fall on guys that might not be great at handling it. So elsewhere, the Suns 128, Mavericks 102. The Spurs were out of it by the time their game started uh, with Memphis and the Suns both winning. They were fourth in the pecking order. Uh, they played against Dallas. Dallas, Luka Doncic only played 13 minutes. Porzingis didn't play at all. Doncic had 18 points in 13 minutes. Uh, but once he went out, it, that was curtains for the Mavs. And they, of course, as we noted yesterday, wanted to lose and uh, move their draft pick up a slot. And they had nothing to play for either. Devin Booker led the Suns with 27 points. And as we had noted previously, while many could say, yes, they deserve to be here and they played some great games, I really enjoyed watching them. And it's also very easy to forget the very real safety concerns that we had in terms of the number of people entering the bubble and why it should have been kept smaller. But the fact that they went 8-0, Memphis ended up 2-6, and and the Suns still couldn't make it in to the play. And I mean, that was difficult. Now, if, and also worth noting too, that the Suns had some relatively fortunate wins early on and then these last two games that they played were against teams that weren't trying at all it would have been hard to predict that all these teams going for the middle seating in the west would have just ended up basically being happy with where they were and not trying at all and that that kind of made this bubble race a little bit more interesting um but nonetheless the suns are going home much to my chagrin i thought they would have made a better play in dance partner with portland than memphis just because memphis is a, a little bit banged up more than well, a little well bit and, a, up. and especially with the shift um as and we can you kind of use this as a jump to a preview of the playing game that we are playing game with parentheses s that we're going to see is something you brought up on the, on the broadcast i believe henry abbott's the one who who came to this that presumably memphis was the team fighting hard to give a real advantage to the eight over the nine you know if you're going to have a playing game yeah you want to make sure and now turnabout is fair play the memphis grizzlies went from having a significant advantage potentially as the eight seed where you only have to win one out of two to now it feels incredibly unlikely to me that they end up making it to the real first round to face the lakers so for memphis they i think they can actually get some decent stuff offensively against portland because every single team that portland has played that's been the case for it they've been atrocious defensively in the bubble and they're running on fumes after all these games where they're just playing a crap ton maybe we'll, we'll see stats be a little more judicious with the minutes knowing that they have two bites uh, at the apple that they'll play saturday and sunday obviously you know john morant should be able to eat pretty well and pick and roll particularly when nurkic is on the bench and he'll be able to set up shooters that should Valanciunas should have a nice time of it as well on the offensive glass of being set up by Morant but I just don't think that the Grizz have the firepower from the outside in the end to keep up I mean this is going to be an offensive game I mean Portland basically gets both teams to a 130 offensive rating every game but I just don't see how Memphis can quite get to that kind of a level um you know Grayson Allen is just gonna have to go completely insane Dylan Brooks is gonna have to go completely insane as a three-point shooter and so because I don't I, I'm concerned that Memphis is not going to be able to slow down Portland either because nobody has been with this role that Dame is on well and Memphis's personnel is not particularly well suited to right. slowing down Portland I mean yeah because Morant is going to have to guard either CJ or Dame or they'll have to hide him on Carmelo or Gary Trent maybe um but any Morant is a really bad pick and roll defender at this point he just gets obliterated by screens that's a, he's his defensive effort has improved as we talked about in that Celtics game but he still is just not you know especially with the crazy load he has to take on on offense it's going to be tough for him so um and then Valanciunas he's another one of these drop back centers so if you're going to try to go with him getting way out on the floor against Dame Dame's going to just traffic cone him like he's been doing to everybody else and, and you know if they had Jaron Jackson with a little more mobility maybe they could go that way maybe they could try you know Clark and Tolliver together to get a little bit more mobility and maybe try and trap Dame but then you know Tolliver's not a great help defender 
behind the play i don't really see what the answers are well, for this memphis defense also memphis doesn't have enough wings to go really small to like do let's say yeah. clark at center and so, somebody like well Justice maybe Lee. yeah maybe they could go kyle anderson at the four that's a look that everybody's been clamoring for we I haven't mean, seen it yet i guess, I guess but, it's it's an it's an option worth considering so i yeah i mean i think it's going to be hard for us now if this was we got asked during the live show like if it ends up being memphis versus portland or memphis like basically if memphis was the eight seed how would you be deciding this and it's like well then you get the math goes in their favor then even if you're you know let's say you're a 40 percent chance to win each individual game you still have a pretty good chance of winning moving advancing because because the other team has to win twice and you only have to win once but now i would have them as the underdog in both games in the abstract and that makes it really hard to win both yeah now let's keep in mind and no matter who portland has played even in their quote-unquote easy games i mean if they've blown anyone out they haven't right like every game well, has come down to the end basically, it's, it's so. hard to blow somebody out when you post a 120.4 defensive rating in the bubble Oof. yeah that's pretty incredible yeah actually the th- only the third worst and they're in front of dallas 120.6 and the denver nuggets 122.4 before their game uh, denver hasn't played their last game against the toronto raptors which we will do on league pass early on friday yeah 130 eastern for that that should that should be a fun one even with everything decided both those teams have some pretty good depth some interesting young guys who will be playing hard and we may have get a chance to do some other stuff too stay tuned on that uh, as well but I mean, if Dame Lillard isn't as unconscious, you know, maybe things change a little bit. There is the possibility that he could get worn down. He is going to have a day off, though. And I think, you know, he came in in awesome shape. These guys were fresh. There's no travel, so you're getting enough sleep every night, even if you're playing a lot. So maybe it is more possible. And this will be interesting to see, too, Danny, in the playoffs of if there's no travel and these guys are pretty fresh, like, could we see guys, you know, playing the entire second half more often? You know, are the, is it going to be not just LeBron who plays 40, 44 minutes a game maybe everyone is going to play 44 minutes a game there could be a different circumstance here than it normally is when you're completely worn down by the end of a long season and you also have to travel so that's something to consider i think i would definitely as particularly for underdogs in these playoffs just in general i would go big big minutes with my stars early on in the series and see if you can kind of catch the favorite napping steal win or two all right, let's take a quick break. We'll get to our bubble awards. Unless you, I guess we should do a prediction on on the the seeding games. I've never had to make a prediction like this, but Blazers in one. <laughs> yeah, it certainly seems like the most likely outcome. Second most likely outcome is Blazers in two, and then I'd say, and then obviously Memphis in three, uh, in two, not in three, in two, because those are the only three things that can happen in this uh, unique format. But I'm, uh, I mean, Memphis is probably going to be just about as exhausted as Portland is. You would say John Morant in particular particular but i do expect john Morant to have a really really good game and you know the valentunas nurkic matchup will, will be interesting who can avoid foul trouble i think if the if they can get nurkic in foul trouble and now it's like hassan whiteside trying to play pick and roll defense against morant and valentunas that could really change things a lot also and, then the traps and doubles work a lot better yeah absolutely ah the sweet sound of sports you love from sling The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets, and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code 
cap space using our cap space we talk about all the time here on the program you get 10 off any purchase of 399 or more that's 10 off at indochino i-n-d-o-c-h-i-n-o indochino.com and don't forget that cap space code to let them know that you came from us so this was pretty fun to do a little small sample size theater here in the bubble only only eight games so a, a little bit different of an approach for us with our awards we're not going to go into quite the depth that uh, we normally do but the nba actually announced that there's going to be a basically a top five players of the bubble and a bubble the player of the bubble not to be confused with the kia mvp award and i think there's also a coach of the bubble as well in this one so just to look at what the value was over eight games again this isn't who's the best player who would you want going forward we're just looking solely at the value that was delivered in these games what was your did you have any kind of like a philosophy that you applied that might be different from normal awards in this one well so the way i did it was um so i'd for the individual player i went for most valuable so the amount of time you played mattered a lot more and the how much your team needed you and then for the all bubble teams i went more like all nba for me so then that it became you know that still mattered value how much you played mattered and and the leverage of those of those minutes but but if you were outstanding in a smaller role like let's say Giannis, he'll come up in this like he would be higher in my most outstanding player than most valuable so i shifted all bubble teams that direction yeah i think i tried to just go with the ones overall who delivered the most value. i mean because Giannis, you know not a single game the bucks played mattered he did, he was great but he didn't play that many minutes and you know uh, there are a lot of these guys like luca basically didn't play two games uh Nikola Jokic was sitting out late in, in games a, a lot of the way Paul George Kawhi like those games didn't mean that much so I did skew a little bit more towards the guys who did something in games that mattered but I think the MVP full stop and he clearly earned it tonight and he's also gonna have one more game technically to add to his resume in theory unless he goes like one for 20 in that game but Damian Lillard it's got to be him Damian Lillard, 30% usage, 68% true shooting. And also worth noting, we, we talked about their defense notwithstanding. That's kind of separate for Dame. 123.8 offensive rating is actually the second best individual offensive rating of any of the high usage guys. The only guy better than him is actually somebody else that we could talk about for bubble MVP, Devin Booker. Yeah, he was probably in the mix for second. Really outstanding. They go 8-0. He hit that huge shot to beat the Clippers as well. Didn't really have a bad game. And now I think that Damian Lillard, his opposition was a little bit stiffer than what Booker faced, particularly because the last two games for Booker, the other team wasn't trying at all, Philly and Dallas. So, you know, even the Clippers game, PG didn't play in that one. But yeah, Booker definitely was awesome, leaving the Suns to 8-0, and they were trying every game. Those those were big. Um, the rest of my first team was Kawhi Leonard, who had a plus 18.6 net rating in this and also worth doing i think paul george had like over a 10 net rating as well so as i've said if those two guys are looking really good and they did i had pg on my second team you got to feel good about where the clippers are at even if it, some of their secondary players are in flux right now did you have Kawhi on there i had Kawhi. i actually had him on my second team uh you totally justified to have him on the first but i had i had a strong group that i wanted to kind of honor so we've already talked yes. about lillard and devin booker james harden had a had a wonderful bubble he did miss he missed a game so that kind of hurts him in the most valuable part but he's unequivocally first team for me yeah he had the highest by the way Harden the highest uh, per minute win percentage of any of these candidates per Kevin Pelton you you know what you know what helps that 73% true shooting and a 44% assist assist percentage that's using NBA.com's version stat completely ludicrous role within the Rockets offense and yeah I, I if it was most outstanding I think you could make a serious argument for Harden to actually get it over Damian Lillard but it's it's different and bubble MVP as I said I think a more fair way to put it so those three then I I put Giannis on there again outstanding over valuable because he missed he missed time and my last one TJ Warren one of the stars of the bubble yeah Warren it did have a couple of bad games and then he's probably gonna sit out these last two but those four games that he did play where he was uh, awesome uh, were uh, enough to really shine including uh, that 53 pointer in the opener against the Philadelphia 76ers and I had Giannis on the second team I had Warren on my first team along with Kawhi and Harden and then so second team was Luka Paul George Jokic was just awesome even though he didn't play as much and then I had uh, Jason Tatum joining Paul George on on my second team the only the only dis- disagreement we had in terms of player there other than like the higher ones that we mentioned 
is I had Chris Paul instead of Jason Tatum for my last spot, but I consider Tatum as well. Yeah, well, maybe if Chris Paul had been out there, they wouldn't have lost their draft pick yesterday. He, he would have been smart enough to uh, yeah. <laughs> to make sure that they, that they lost it. Um, yeah, Chris Stapps Porzingis also outstanding in terms of his statistics, but I thought that he really suffered defensively. That's why I didn't put him on there. Also, shout outs to Derek White, who was really yes. good. DeMar DeRozan was outstanding. Bogdan Bogdanovich, despite having a... One for 15. One for 15. Yeah, I couldn't remember if it was 0 for 14 or 1 for 15. He did actually hit one shot. His last time. shot, yeah. Yeah, he, he was great in all those other ones. And then Michael Porter, you know, he, he kind of cooled off as things went down. He wasn't as good defensively, but certainly worthy of discussion in I'll, this group as especially well. Especially Michael Porter ended up, or not ended up because there's still more games for it, but he is currently fifth in Kevin Pelton's uh, warp for the bubble. So let's talk uh, coach of the bubble. Monty Williams seems to be the, Derek, your choice leading the Suns to eight. No, but I actually would put Jock Vaughn ahead of him. I think there's a very credible argument for that. I went with Monty Williams over Jock Vaughn, but what I mean, what Vaughn did to basically reinvent to to uh, just address the, yeah. the, the, the that situation. first game, you were like, oh my god this team is just the worst team I've ever seen. Like, how are they ever going to like, do anything? They, they got shit-canned by the Orlando Magic, who then got shit-canned by a bunch of other teams. And, yeah. and Granted, they, with some health issues, but yes. nonetheless. Yes, but it was, yeah, I mean, you saw that, and then they ended up getting, you know, good performances from a lot of different guys, and Jared Allen, I thought, stepped up, and, and yeah, I, I think that Jacques Vaughn is a totally deserving one, and it will be fascinating to see how this affects Vaughn's coaching status, not even necessarily with with the, with the Nets job because they have a lot of different considerations considering the players than the personalities that are involved, but also potentially for Jacques Vaughn getting a different job with a different organization. Yeah, absolutely. And it, Monty Williams obviously did a great job too, but I just went with Vaughn just because I thought that the uh, after that first game, I thought that the Nets playing as well as they did was actually maybe more unlikely than the Suns doing as well as they did, particularly considering that, you know, the Suns opponents weren't really trying at the end and also there are just specific things that Vaughn did that I could point to finding better ways to use Karis LeVert after the Magic really took him out of the game in that first game he made some specific adjustments he like got Lance Thomas out of the starting lineup brought in Rudy Kurix and he didn't even have a backup center at all and they still found a way to get things going and they were they were getting good shots this Nets team and they had some pretty decent shooters and really were a fun offensive story so uh honorable mention of course to Greg Popovich with the Spurs other than DeMar DeRozan and Rudy Gay basically going into more of a youth mode uh, to really get them to come out and compete in addition to uh, developing the young guys which was uh, the point of this so he deserves some mention to me as well yeah and for me the re- part of the reason I chose Monty Williams is that the Suns players weren't necessarily they were they were fighting for something kind of different than the Nets like the Nets guys are trying to get a, a spot sometimes in the league sometimes in the team next year and for the Suns it was it was kind of this d- deflating year before the bubble and to rally the team part of why they defended so well I think was some three-point shooting luck but they were excellent I thought that they played well uh, some some of the more memorable games in the early part of the bubble and you're right that they benefited later on but they also had some strong performances including that win over the Pacers back in the battle of the unbeaten days for both of those franchises Suns continued that of course and and I thought that he that that Williams did a really good job also managing the rotation like I mean helped by campaign being great but also having having competent point guard play the the forward rotation Cam Johnson looked great in the bubble and Mikhail Bridges really stood out DeAndre Ayton and remember this wasn't the they weren't as hurt by injuries and absences as the Nets were but you know Aaron not having Aaron Baines not having really I would say a competent backup center I thought that was something that Monty Williams managed well and it was a a challenging circumstance that I think he handled admirably and from a personality perspective from talent perspective and yeah both both Vaughn and Monty Williams are totally deserving and I'm actually very interested in how the voting goes the easy one is the coach that went eight no but there's a very clear argument that Jacques Vaughn had the harder job to do yeah and biggest surprise team I mean I think obviously that dovetails nicely with coach of the year Suns Spurs Nets uh, to me clearly uh, the biggest surprise 
surprises and i think i will in fact go with the nets i mean considering that you know uh, the tyler johnson uh was just signed basically yesterday you know it, jamal crawford was supposed to actually be one of their best guys and he only played six minutes with a, a hamstring injury and like they just to cobble something together with like guys a lot of guys who just like weren't even nba players before this season or even before the bubble was pretty incredible so i would go nets particularly when you consider how poorly they started in that first blowout but Suns and Spurs obviously right up there yes, as well. Yes, San Antonio number nine in offense in the bubble, one fifteen basically offensive rating. That was really stunning to me, and I'll I'll use that to transition into my most surprising player. I know there will be people that say T.J. Warren and everything else. For me, it was Derek White. I thought that Derek White was a real revelation here in the pre-bubble pre-hiatus season. Derek White shot thirty six percent on threes, but he was taking two point six per game in the bubble. Small sample size theater, thirty eight percent on. 7.5 three-point attempts per game and remember that he got hurt during one of those games so that actually lowered it a little bit I think he only took six in that game and but it, it wasn't the numbers it wasn't oh he shot 38 percent versus 36 it was the confidence that Derek White had shooting those shots which is so pivotal for thinking about his role long term because being a hesitant shooter brings other negatives that means maybe players can shade off you a little bit more and it makes him a more viable player next to DeJounte next to whatever the Spurs want to do at their other spots and I, I love I loved watching what he became in the bubble. Absolutely. More confident even still as a pick and roll player. I thought he rediscovered some of his defensive mojo moving his feet. So yeah, he was actually my pick as well tj warren number two uh, although again he did slow down and then get hurt uh really only had four great games uh honorable mentions as well Keldon johnson yes really he had started playing well he was someone i believed in but he really really took a step forward gary trent similar uh just shot the lights out in portland and uh gave about as solid a defense as existed on that team mikhail bridges really i thought maybe it's my own fault for not appreciating his defense enough but i thought of him as more of like you know a good help guy deflections guy but you know particularly in that game against warren when warren was coming in averaging 40 points a game and the pacers were three and oh shutting him down as an on ball guy that really opened my eyes a, a little bit um anyone i got a couple more anyone else you wanted to highlight no i think you i think you hit on all, all of the big ones that i was going to talk about so i got three more michael porter jr oh yeah yeah helped of helped of course by the fact that he got a lot more playing time and you know he played off of Jokic really well Carmelo Anthony would actually be one for me where it just the shape that he came in and the defensive effort that he showed yeah he was getting lit up still at times but like actually with you know hard help rotations to like pick someone up outside the lane on a drive like just it's been year I mean it's probably been since like Denver that we've seen that kind of effort from him and then Cameron Payne just coming completely out of nowhere as a bubble signing who've been it really a joke on this program uh, unfortunately with the fact that the Bulls traded for him and that he was kind of out of the league you know he had all those foot problems as well and really happy for him rediscovering his career in the G League and so he basically was the biggest difference to me of anyone uh for the Suns going eight no I don't know that we need to dwell as much on most disappointing team but shout out New Orleans Pelicans I mean the it looked like while the schedule gods didn't smile as brightly on them in the reduced abridged bubble schedule as they could have in a full if we had been able to play the full season because the the, the 10 or sorry the delete eight would have been involved but they didn't do a good job of playing who was in front of them they looked really disjointed really from the jump and some of that sure can be attributed to zion williamson's path out of the bubble and then path back and he didn't look quite like himself and that jar that garbled their rotation but they were shaky offensively and they were inconsistent defensively and so a two and six record when memphis tailing off really opened the door for somebody and portland ended up mostly going through it new orleans had the opportunity as well and they absolutely did not they were playing so well before the hiatus you looked at their schedule and you thought that if you're just going to look at the games that they were favored and not favored that they should have gone six and two and said they went two and six although they packed it in obviously once they were done but i mean for them to be eliminated so early on as well i mean the, to have their last two games be completely meaningless uh and that was uh, disappointing and 
Zion Williamson is your most disappointing player. 128 defensive rating when he is on the floor. He had zero blocks or steals in 104 minutes, and the Pelicans were negative 24.9 points per 100 possession on defense with him on the floor compared to when he was off the floor. One other just brief one, I'm not in the same caliber as Zion that I wanted to mention was DeJounte Murray wasn't offensively to me wasn't the revelation that did, that Derek White was he ended up shooting having a 46% true shooting over the eight games that he played and I, I you know there, there is this question about where does he fit in with the Spurs long term and now that I think Derek White really outshined him in Orlando so he's not in the same caliber as I am, but I wanted to mention him I didn't focus too much on the negative but I remember wondering if he could do more and thinking this was a great opportunity it didn't end up working out best win of the bubble Miami's thorough domination of the Indiana Pacers partially because it made me think about their series differently that's a good one and particularly given the Butler Warren beef and some of the stakes coming in there I I think that's a really good one I mean I gotta go with Portland beating Dallas in the second to last game with Dame Lillard scoring 61 points I mean that's that one is just an incredible performance beating a good Dallas team uh, that was still trying at that point so I was uh that's one where you just were like that that was an awesome team win for them and uh, honorable mention to Devin Booker's game winner against the Clippers yeah lots of I mean spectacularly exciting games in the bubble you could think of that Dallas Milwaukee like if we were doing like best game Dallas Milwaukee is in that conversation Philly or sorry not Philly Phoenix the Clippers is there um that Phil, Phil Phoenix Indiana game was also quite fun a lot of a lot of just really exciting action helped by the Portland Trailblazers playing so little defense that all their games were close worst loss Allow me to pause for a second and look through the New Orleans Pelican schedule because it will involve them. <laughs> oh, I actually know it. That 140 to 125 loss to the Sacramento Kings when it looked like my pick they too. might. What a- they what a complete disaster that game was. like it looks like oh you know they they had that win over memphis and like oh they might have righted the ship they lost their first two games they lost to good teams you know competitive teams and the, all they need to do is take care of the downtrodden sacramento certainly wasn't that game and then sacramento just ran them off the floor including a 40 to 33 that sorry i shouldn't start with the 40 point quarter i should start with the 49 point first quarter which was ludicrous Oof. yeah uh not good in transition defense for the Pels. And you can throw their loss to San Antonio in uh, or that as well. Uh, Honorable mention was the Spurs losing to the Sixers on a Shake Milton three-pointer. If I'm not mistaken, if San Antonio wins that game, they actually would have made it in. And DeJounte Murray, they're up two with five seconds left, 10 seconds left. DeJounte Murray leaves Joel or leaves Shake Milton open to go double Joel Embiid. Shake Milton wasn't even expecting the ball. They threw it to me he had to take a dribble in and hit the game-winning three-pointer as the inbounder that was just to lose in that fashion was uh really dispiriting um particularly when they could at least have gone into overtime and then uh we would be remiss if we don't mention oklahoma city winning yesterday that's up there for worst loss for sure <laughs> Yeah, I, I haven't done the like done any of the math to kind of think if if, if today's results had held what would have like if they, if they would have gotten everything right. Uh, well, Utah won, so that means that uh, I think they would have gotten it outright. Although Utah, I'm sure, would have tried to lose in that situation a little harder than they did um, if OKC had lost because Utah would have wanted to stay at six. But they would have had the 50-50 coin flip at a minimum yeah. to keep it. Yeah, I think that's what it would have been. They would have had the and, and yeah, the, the Utah would have had to dig back into their muscle memory of trying to lose games like they have done a little bit in the bubble. Yeah, good. I, I talked about that situation without uh, swearing at myself this time. Very very proud. Uh, oh, and the most surprising yeah. players, I want to mention Jarrell Brantley just because we didn't know anything about him and he looked better than I expected. Definitely. Um, best game in the bubble. Certainly Blazers, Mavs, and Blazers, Nets have got to be in there. Clippers, Phoenix. Those are the three that really come to mind for me. Am I forgetting any? Bucks, Mavs. How about, uh, oh, Bucks, Mavs. Yeah, no, that one was awesome, actually. And uh, uh, Bucks, Rockets was really good, too. I mean, just because it was like so fascinating strategically back, back when those teams were still uh, going full bore at the beginning. Was, was so that was really that the only that NBA cast, like the non-league pass one that we did in the entire bubble? Yeah, I mean, how many? We ended up doing, what, 10 is going to be it? Yeah, our 10th yeah. one is tomorrow. Like 10 out of 14 days. It's uh, It's been a marathon, <laughs> to be sure. But uh, shockingly, um, they 
they've been overwhelmingly they've been really interesting games. So full credit to those oh, teams. Yeah. I, I mean, the most ludicrous of that being on Wednesday night, the the Heat Thunder game, which just looked like it was going in one direction like five different times, and the wagons just kept on getting circled. But yeah, I mean, I I would say like the biggest the biggest winner in all of this. And we're not all the way out of the woods yet, especially with families coming. But is the NBA. I mean, the lack of hiccups, yeah, there were some headlines with the Magic City stuff and a few of the other a few of the other things, but no positive tests in the bubble in what like two weeks? Like I mean we've been we've been clear on that for a for a long time. And this being really well executed, there you know, some of the stuff like the virtual fans are a little bit weird, but also it's better than no no noise at all. It seems like it's adding some fun atmosphere. And as we're seeing other entities really struggle with how to implement a viable structure, to see the NBA really nail this is not only is it exciting because it allows us to watch basketball, but it's extreme. But it, it bodes well for the NBA moving forward, even if it relies on a bubble concept in a different form. Yeah, and I just really, really enjoyed. I mean, today's game was, you know, just that feeling. It just took me back to like the great games in the playoffs last year. Like I enjoy it every bit as much uh, down there. Not granted, it's a it's a TV product, and and I don't know how the, the rest of you guys feel about not having fans there. But to me, at least to us hardcore fans, uh, it's uh, well pretty much the same thing. And in fact, I, I think guys are playing at a higher level than they are going into the playoffs. This is something you brought up on the broadcast, and I think this is such an important point is that before the bubble began, there was yammering. I mean, also there was a lot of airtime to fill about whether there would be an asterisk or whether there would be something else. Nope. These teams are playing hard. It's yes, there are injuries, but injuries affect every single playoff run. That's just the way it works. And I'm so excited about that, that we can, assuming, you know, knock on wood, assuming that everything can go reasonably well, we will have a, the NBA will have a legitimate champion for the 2019-20 season. And I'm so ready for it. All right. uh, I am so ready for the play. And we will do a Saturday episode to discuss the results of that. And obviously we still got to preview the other remaining seven series. The Nets impressed me enough. I might actually, uh, I might be down to actually do a real preview of their their (laughs) series uh, against Toronto. Magic Bucks, uh, maybe, maybe could be getting uh, a little bit bit of short shrift if we're being honest there but yeah we got plenty to talk about so yeah that's the schedule saturday we're gonna do a pod we won't be on tomorrow and then Hollinger and I are going to do Sunday and then the playoffs start on Monday. We'll be there with uh, full coverage starting uh, on Monday night. So uh, we will talk to y'all on Saturday after the play-in game one of two or game one of one. I guess we shall see. Talk to y'all then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.